Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. If you'd like to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, Verse 33, we're going to cover what the Lord had to say to us this morning. Let's pray. Father, we do come to you now as children, as students that are eager to learn. So teach us, Lord. Open your word to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Matthew chapter 5, verse 33. 5.33. Again, ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it's God's throne, nor by the earth, it's his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, it's the city of the great king, neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black, but let your communication be, yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. Ye have heard that it been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say unto you that you resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and for him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. Okay, now, it's always useful when we're in a section like this to kind of keep the overview in mind. So as we look at this wonderful section, the Sermon on the Mount, we've seen how the Lord began his teaching in verse 2, and then he, from there he went directly into laying out for us the goals of our life. What are we shooting for in life? And these goals are all started with these terms, blessed are. And so when you look at these blessed are's in verses 3 to 12, you find that they describe what we are to be or the persons we are to be. It's interesting because it also describes with each one a particular reward. You know, we don't speak very much about rewards, but this is very important, and God wants to set this before us. For example, we should be poor in spirit. We should be humble because... The reward is heaven. And he began with a focus here on humility. Why? Because pride blocks everything. Pride blocks God. The God resists the proud. Pride is the root of every sin. So the Lord has said that he does not dwell with the pride. He doesn't want to be with the proud. But he wants to be with the humble. He said that in Isaiah 57, 15. Isaiah 57, 15, where the Lord said, Thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity. I like the way Ken was speaking this morning in Breaking of Bread when he said, if anyone thinks 
if anyone is high and is a great person. And then he stopped himself and he said, no, if anyone thinks that they're a great person. <laughs> and so this is what the Lord is saying. This is the only great one. He says, this is the high, lofty one that inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. And then he says, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite, humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble, to revive the heart of the contrite ones. So here he is, he's describing himself, he's so very high, and he's not dwelling with those who walk in there and say, well, you know, you're looking at Mr. Great here. He's dwelling with those who have the dropped head. That's what the word humble means. Ana, in Hebrew, it means kind of the dropped head. Person who walks like that. And then he said we should be mournful over our own sin, the sin of the world especially, because to be mournful like that, have a broken heart for sin, is to know the comfort of God. That's a reward, the comfort of God. We should be meek. We should be meek, which means the opposite of feeling entitled. We should not be, I deserve, I am entitled to. Because if we're meek and say, no, I don't deserve anything, I'm not entitled to anything, then the reward is you inherit the earth. And then we should be hungry and thirsty to be clothed with the righteousness. Righteousness is not our own. The righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because sin made our righteousness sail away from us a long time ago. And for this, the hunger and the thirst for righteousness. And if we have that, he says, your reward is you'll be met. You'll be filled. We should be merciful, especially to lost sinners who need the Lord. That's the greatest need of lost sinners. It's the greatest need of the lost is the Lord. Like the song says, people need the Lord. And so when we are merciful to them and give them the gospel and show them the way to God, then God says, I'll be merciful to you. We should be pure in heart because the reward is to see God. We should be peacemakers because the reward is to have this wonderful title of the children of God. And we should be so associated with the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ that we get persecuted for it. Not that we go out and look for it, but it happens. It's like D.L. Moody when he sent out his evangelists one time and they returned and he had two questions. He said, anybody get saved? And his next question is, anybody get mad? That's a consequence. So his focus on this first section, verses three through 12, is on rewards. And he ends this up in verse 12 by saying, great is your reward in heaven. So he wants us to refocus on rewards. Yeah, it reminds me of the S&H green stamps. How many are old enough to remember S&H green stamps? Okay, so some of you are, others of you don't want to raise your hand, that's okay. So that was a rage when I was growing up. You remember, Don, you know, you bought something and, oh, you got to give me those uh, green stamps. Give me the green stamps. And then, you you know, and they were called S&H. I don't know why they're called S&H. Maybe it was Sam and Harry. I don't know. But it's called S&H. Anyway, every time you bought something, you got the green stamps and you got the books and then each page in the books had the little squares in them and you, you pasted all the green stamps in there and, and you had a full book and then you had a catalog of rewards of the things you could get with so many books of filled out stamps. You know, the toaster was three books, I don't remember. The TV was 50 books, whatever. And you look through the catalog and you say, how many books have I got? And you, you kind of look forward to it. Every time you shopped, you look forward to getting those, those green stamps, and, it, and the focus was on rewards. It was on rewards for buying stuff, but anyways, reward. That's the message of these first verses in this chapter, the importance of focusing on the rewards. 
Because there's one message that God has, and with all this, you should be humble, you should be poor in spirit, and especially as we're going to get into, you should allow yourself to be abused. The message from God is, it's not easy, but here's the message, it's worth it. It's worth it because of the rewards. And that's the whole message, this first section here on focusing on our life goals, the rewards. Now, he finishes up this section in the beginning here by saying, okay, now, where you're heading toward with all this is to help others. Help others by being salt and light. Okay, and that's the first section of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, he moves into the second section, which we could title, if we wanted to give a title to it, we could say it's something like, you have heard, but I say unto you. I mean, that could be a title of this section here, because here, when he starts off with the, you have heard, that's the wrong teaching. That's the wrong teaching. In other words, he's heading directly toward correcting the wrong teaching that they have received. And he goes about this identification of the errors with the, you have heard, and then he takes this position of great authority, which he has, and he says, but I say unto you, I above your false teachers, I above the common understanding say unto you. And so he covers these areas, and he starts off with murder, then he goes to adultery, and he shows that these are really areas of anger and sexual lust. That's what we're talking about in these sixth and seventh commandments. And then the Lord now is moving to the third commandment, which is not to take, you know, we always know it as thou shalt not take the name of the Lord God in vain. We know it that way. But it really, when you look at this third commandment, it's really about misuse of the name of God. And he says, this is where he's going in verse 33 when he says, again, you have heard that it that hath been said by them of old time, thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thy nose. Now, forswearing thyself means to make a promise or to make a vow that you don't meet or maybe even know you can't meet, to deceive, to trick somebody by promising that you're gonna do something that you're not gonna do. It's really referred to in Psalm 24.4, Psalm 24.4, when it asks the question, who's gonna go to heaven? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. That's what we're talking about here. Swearing deceitfully. It's promising something that you don't do. For example, you know, if you had a rental, if you had a rental property, for example, and say the renter's gonna leave, and then the last month the renter doesn't pay the rent, because what's he gonna say? You know, so sue me. This is where we're going. Now, the Lord commends the person who lives up to his promise, uh, what he says he's gonna do. For example, in Psalm 15.4, Psalm 15.4, it speaks about he that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. Sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. In other words, he's gonna do what he says he's gonna do. Reminds me of what happened about 20 years ago when we needed a stainless steel tank that was uh, electropolished, very, very, what they call medical grade stainless steel. So we went to a stainless steel fabricator in our park and we gave them specifications and, and they didn't meet the specifications. So, you know, he didn't deliver, okay. Didn't meet the specification. And I never forget what he said. He said, he said, yeah, I know. He said, but there's not enough profit in this for me to remake it. In other words, he would not perform his vow from Psalm 15:4. He would not, as it says here, swear to his own hurt and changeth not. Now that's one application, that's one application of this reference here, swear, for swear thyself. 
And the other is a light use of the name of God. And you kind of step back and you think about that. What does that mean? Of course, you know what it means on the surface. It's when people use the name of God or even worse, the name of the Lord Jesus or Christ. But for example, Jezebel, when she wanted to kill Elisha, and she said in 2 Kings 6.31, 2.6.31, and he said, God do so and more also to me if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, shall stand him on him this day. But it's a very serious thing to use the name of God, especially when you make a promise. But, you know, which is why Solomon looked at that situation and he said, here's my advice in Ecclesiastes 5.4, Ecclesiastes 5.4, when thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better is it that thou shouldst not vow than that thou should vow and not pay. So all these warnings here, now we have the Lord making it very, very simple. And he says in verse 34, or chapter 5, verse 34, but I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it's God's throne. And now the Lord now goes on to speak about certain habits of speech which were in practice in his day. So this included, for example, of swearing by heaven. If a person would say, you know, I'll do this just as sure as there is a heaven. Or swearing by God's throne. You can count on me just as sure as God has a throne. Or just as sure as there's Jerusalem. You know, Jerusalem, a sacred city. And so these were habits that had grown to be very common. And God steps in and says, stop it. This is what he's saying here. Stop it. Don't do that. You know, people say things today without even giving one thought of what they're saying. You know, it reminds me when Scott and I, I remember Scott, on Friday night, we were at the Del Mar Fair, we're walking to the Child Evangelism booth. In order to get to the booth, you have to go through quite a vanity fair. I mean, it's unbelievable. There's people, the lights, and everything from deep fried Snickers bars, you know, things like that. And so, twice as we're walking, and I, a little kid he says, oh my God, like that, you know. And of course, you know, this is shocking. You know, he's probably looking at the double cheeseburger with the Krispy Kreme donuts in place of the buns, you know. And you hear this from people. You hear people saying, oh my gosh. Well, what's a gosh? Or gosh darn it. Or golly. Or dang it. Or Jiminy Christmas. And more. And these are all, everybody knows what these are referring to. But these are all habits that have crept into our vocabulary, the vernacular. They're not good. They're not good. And the Lord is addressing the habits of his day, and he's basically saying, don't do it. Don't do it. I like Becky Workington. One time when she wanted to get attention by her explanation, she goes, well, Tom, stars and stripes. <laughs> I don't know why she said stars and stripes, <laughs> but anyway, that's what she said. It's not that all swearing is bad in the biblical sense of swearing, in other words, making an oath, because it says in 1 Kings 2.23, 1 Kings 2.23, the same Solomon who says, you know, if you're not going to do it, don't do it. Don't, don't make the vow. It says there in 1 Kings 2.23, then King Solomon swear by the Lord, saying, God do so to me and more also if Adonijah have not spoken this word against his own life. Then he killed Adonijah. And then uh, David said in 2 Samuel 19.13, 2 Samuel 19.13, you say, Amasa, art thou not of my bone and of my flesh? God do so to me, and more also, if thou be not captain of the host before me continually in the room of Joab. So, you know, and then there is a verse in Deuteronomy that does command to do this. 
in Deuteronomy 10.20, thou shalt fear the Lord thy God, him shalt thou serve, and to him shalt thou cleave and swear by his name. And Paul did this in 2 Corinthians 1.23. 2 Corinthians 1.23, he said, moreover, I call God for a record upon my soul that to spare you I came not unto Corinth. So, in other words, the whole point is when you use the name of God, when you use these things such as the term damn, for example, which is a very serious thing, don't do it lightly. Think about it. Don't try to pawn the seriousness of some term like that in order to give some body to something else that's not known or not sure. I remember in court scenes, it was always you put your hand on the Bible and you say, do you swear to tell the whole truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth? So help you God. They don't do that anymore today because God doesn't mean anything to most people today, I guess. I don't know. But anyway, So the Lord made it very simple in verse 34 when he just said, look, you know, just to be safe, I say unto you, swear not at all. Either by heaven or it's God's throne. You know why people do this? Because they're trying to bring a seriousness, a shock and awe to the conversation. And so they'll use some foul adjective in front of something or they'll say the name of God or worse, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all designed for the shock effect, you know, to bring into it. And it's a common practice today. And that's why. Now, the closer a person gets to God, the closer a person gets to God, the more these things are disturbing the more these things, they feel awful about it. And this we see in the life of the prophet Isaiah. There's loose lips. Isaiah, worse than loose lips. So in the case of the experience of Isaiah, he had slipped in his personal life. He heard it so much around him. Maybe he was saying those words. Maybe he was saying those phrases. Maybe it was in his heart to say it. Maybe it took a hammer on his thumb to have it come out, like Pastor Jim used to say, if you want to know what's in the glass, just shake it. And um, he was surrounded in his life by people who spoke these foul terms. And he talks about what happened to him in Isaiah 6, verse 1. Isaiah 6, verse 1, where he said there was this certain time, and it was the time when the king, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet. With twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me! For I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And mine eye has seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs, with, with the tongs from off the altar, and he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. So here he is, Isaiah has this life-changing experience. He sees God. He said he saw God. He saw God. He sees Jehovah, Jesus. And it was it a, oh, this is wonderful. I am really lost in wonder, love, and praise. I feel so happy. I'm so exhilarated. I just saw God. So you're running around telling everybody that? Not at all. Just the opposite. Seeing God made him feel horrible because the first thing that he thought of was, Oh no, my lips, my lips. His lips felt so dirty. His lips felt so dirty and rotten. 
He felt that he had dirty, rotten lips. He puts his hand over his lips, and he says, oh, no, my lips, my lips, I'm gone, I'm undone, is the way he said, I'll be destroyed. He says in verse 5, woe is me, for I am a man, for I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Mine eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. It's really something. He sees God, and he feels horrible because of his sin. That's kind of a picture of what it's going to be like for every lost person in the judgment, how they're going to feel their sin has just consumed them like a cancer. And this is where he is. He says, I'm a goner. My eyes have seen the holy God, and I'm a man with dirty, rotten lips, and I dwell in the people with dirty, rotten lips. So he's saying that he let the language around him creep into him to the point where he was personally defiled Maybe he was thinking that language. Maybe he was saying that language. You know, you got to think when you see something like this, you got to think about television. You got to think about movies. What's on the television? What's on the movies? What's on the so called entertainment? Just think of what's on the TV, what's on the movies, where all of a sudden someone will use the, the highest name of the Lord Jesus Christ in a vain way or a foul language. And it gets into our heart, and it's so easy to become like Isaiah, to become a person who starts even thinking that way. We don't have such a great guard in our hearts, such a great wall to bar us from that. That happens. This is Isaiah, the great prophet Isaiah's testimony, the great prophet Isaiah, who made the great prophecy of Isaiah 53. This man could not guard his heart from the foul language of creeping into his heart. How much less can we? If we watch things or see things on television, movie, and go, oh, I wish he hadn't said that. Now, why did he say that? That just crept into my house like a horrible infestation. So it's very important for us to guard. Now, the good news for Isaiah, and the good news for him was that a remedy came. Good news came. It didn't come from him. It came from God. It came from God. In verse 6, Isaiah 6, verse 6, Then flew one of the seraphims unto me. It was a direct to him, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs off the altar. And he laid it on my mouth and said, This hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. It was a seraphim sent by God with a live coal, which is off the place of sacrifice, off the place of the altar, and it was applied to Isaiah's lips, just like seeing the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ as the altar of sacrifice and and his sacrifice applied to our individual sin. Isaiah didn't come before the Lord and said, Lord, I'm a sinner. Isaiah came before the Lord and said, unclean lips is me. And the Lord just said, fine, cleanse that. Just like it says in 1 John 1, 7. 1 John 1, 7 says, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And it goes on. In verse 9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So this was great news for Isaiah and the seraphim coming with the live coal, but the seraphim only came to Isaiah after Isaiah had confessed his sin of unclean lips. First, he had to confess his sin. If he didn't confess his sin, there's no remedy for him. No confession, no seraphim. No confession, no live coal from off the altar. No confession, no taking away Isaiah's sin and his, of his unclean lips. Nothing happened. 
without Isaiah confessing his sin. It reminds me of as Friday, the child evangelism booth, the Del Mar Fair, the two kids came in. One's a seven-year-old brother, and then the sister, the sister, she's five years old, with their parents. So the two kids sit in front of me, parents sit on the sidelines, the umpires. Anyway, so they sit right in the front of me, and then I came to the part, you know, of all have sinned, and then I asked them, did you ever do anything wrong? Oh, instantly, both of them shook their heads and said no. And then they look back at their parents with the, no, not me, I'm a good little boy. No, not me, I'm a good little girl. You know, that, those kind of looks, you know. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 